0: If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the '70s, the monster vocalists of the '80s, and the creativity and risk taking of the '90s and early 2000s, I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories, and I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My Is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. Before we get started, I wanted you to know a couple of things about this and future episodes. You're going to hear my friend Drew mentioned a couple of times in this conversation. He's a friend of mine who's helping me put together a lot of these interviews, and he even set us up for a couple of days at producer Kyle Lee's studio in Nashville to capture some amazing conversations with our upcoming guests. And so I have to say thank you to Drew and to Kyle for helping make these podcasts extra special. And the dude making these all sound so good is my production partner rob tucker rob i don't know what i'd do without you hey these men are a gift from god and i'm blessed to have them in my life also if you haven't found it yet there's a spotify playlist that goes along with the podcast with many of the songs from my guests it's a great way to catch up with many of those great songs from that era of ccm there's a link right down at the bottom of the episode description so go check that out now on to my visit with my good friend jeremy dibler of ffh my best memories are touring. I have great memories in the studio. I have great memories just hanging out with my four bandmates, but really touring and getting to know Horn of Grace, Wayne Watson, Russ Taff, the Katinas, uh, Clay Cross, Kathy Jacole are the names that, that come up when I think about our tours. And then we toured with FFH, which was some of my favorite memories. I mean, You know, when I say favorite memories, do I have, like, these specific moments? No. I just have this overall, like, warm feeling of you and Jennifer and your band and the time that we spent on the road together. And, you know, going back and listening to FFH songs, I'm just like, oh, I forgot how great that song was. How great that song was. How great that song was. You guys were a real, like, serious part of Christian music in the nineties. And I know so many people listening to this podcast are instantly going to remember your songs and how they felt coming to your concerts. And so I'm just honored, Jeremy, that you would join me for this little conversation. So Jeremy Dibler of FFH, welcome to one degree of Andy. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thanks Andy. And I'm glad I'm in that one degree.
0: Yeah, you are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was so when, uh, drew texted me, I was, I mean, I was like, yes, this is going to be so fun because, um, you guys were part of that and you know, we're not we're not that different in age, but you guys were were part of the kind of the group that came before us when uh when we were trying to figure out like what what are we doing are we gonna stay in Pennsylvania, are we gonna move to Nashville and make a go at it? Um I mean I, I think I was always gonna make a go at it. Jennifer and me um we met in ninety five or sorry, we met in nineteen ninety four and then in nineteen ninety five we got married and it was like we kind of had i had the band thing already going because ffh or far from home as it was started in we were in high school so it was brian and i and two other guys and then um then i met jennifer and she was from missouri and so we we started kind of playing some music together she's was a country music singer and um and and so it it was unique and we, we would sing together and then one of the guys in FFH quit and I was like, well, you know, maybe we could just, if we we'll just put all this together. Yeah. When I say all this, yeah. it wasn't much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, but it, 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 when, once we put it together, it was like, Hey, there's something here. Like, yeah. Um, but my point to you was, um, for him was actually pretty influential. Um, there were a few bands for me that, uh, and and Brian Smith too, my, my partner in uh-huh. Ffh. I mean, we shared music with each other all the time, and there were two. You guys had two records in particular um, that just were really, really influential. I mean, I, I driving over here this morning, I was thinking about riding in our band van, listening to the ride, oh, and wow. yeah, and then um, uh, I, I could be wrong about this, but the next record, the message. Was it the message that had draw back your bow? Oh
2: yeah. We were just bow. talking about
1: that off before that we started. Song, come on. Yeah. I mean yeah. Brian Smith walked up to me with the record, said, Hey, that just listen to this song. Wow. And I was like, Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah, we were we were talking about that off camera before we started that there's some interesting stories to that song and how that one came to be but yeah. um so F F H though, you had to change your name because it wasn't far from home. Was that yeah it was taken by another band, is that right? Yeah, it was.
1: Um and they had they had, had the we they were in California we would have never crossed paths and they contacted I contacted us and said hey what what are you doing <laughs> um, we're like well nothing really but yeah um, so we just thought well we can just use the initials and yeah man don't do it. if you're in a, if you're listening and you're in a band don't do initials <laughs> <laughs> Why? two f's and an h doesn't really yeah. mean anything
0: <laughs> oh that's funny. But I mean that you still kind of kept that like like I remember you would say FFH means far. From we him. would. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, you know, for for him wasn't too far from FFH. I mean, yeah. you know, it was um uh, it, it works. Whatever works works. I mean, we never it took us a long time to actually like our name. Yeah. Just because we felt like it maybe sounded southern gospel or yeah. I don't know, but it was kind of like the best we could come up with at uh-huh. the time. And, and that's another. So another, yeah. To add to that is be careful what you name yourself because if you have a couple of hit songs, yeah, you can't go back. No, you can't change. it. You music. really can't. Yeah. Um, and don't name yourself Goo Goo Dolls or Uba Stank or something like <laughs> Uba that. Stank. Yeah, because you can't. Yeah, you can't go back and change it once you have a hit. Yeah. But true. Well, so one of the biggest memories I have, one of the most vivid memories I should say of of us touring together was, and it's it's funny this. This memory has come up on several podcasts with different people, but uh, being in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, in uh, that big outdoor—remember, yeah—that big wooden, oh my, outdoor gosh. pavilion, the Asbury Pavilion, yeah. yes, and it was so hot <sighs> that we were all just—I mean, I think somebody—I don't remember if it was one of you guys or somebody in our band whose shirt bled, yeah and like like stained all their clothes yeah. that's how hot
1: it was. it was so hot yeah you remember that okay here's what i remember about that show um we so being from lancaster pennsylvania it's it was only a mm, two-hour drive okay. ocean city new jersey was our that was our vacation spot um the people near philly that that's kind of what they did in the summer yeah you know the billy joel song allentown spent their weekends on the that was us yeah. you know we spent our weekends on the jersey shore and so uh mark harris because it was so hot he came to us and he's like hey what do you think about switching tonight and we were like what are you talking about he's like you guys how about we play first you guys play second
0: and That's we, such a headliner move. we're like well, we're like
1: why <laughs> no he's like no no you'll probably have more fans than we will and you guys had an earlier flight <laughs> <Yeah. Okay.
0: laughs> so sandy patty did that to us one time did she early in our career we were playing magic mountain in Mm -hmm. la and we had been in south carolina the night before so long day and the some of our label guys met us there wanted to take us to a bookstore which was two hours on the other side of la Mm. so our day was like this it was this 18 hour day you were just driving and so we don't get into magic mountain for a sound check until right before we're supposed to sound check and sandy and her crew are already there and she goes Hey, and we're supposed, to, we're both supposed to do two sets okay. that night. And she goes, Hey, you know what? Um, we just went ahead and decided we're going to open and do our set first. And you guys are going to go on after us. And we're kind of like, okay, um, that sounds great. But then what we didn't realize was we didn't go on for a second set to like 11 PM. Oh my. That night for about 60 people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sandy and knew what she was
0: doing. She knew. What she yeah. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing, she and her crew were out of there. They're like, we got to catch flight. Yeah, yeah. Back. yeah. But yeah, that, we, we learned that
1: mark you know what jeremy you know what you know what i'm thinking <laughs> i'm thinking you guys you play for we'll play first <laughs> that way you guys get to play for your fans
0: okay mark <laughs> you nailed it that's him <laughs> incredible yeah so and then we went out on a tour was it called was it the freedom mm-hmm. last oh, tour yeah, yeah so that was a really great experience it really me. was yeah so that was us, you guys, Wayne Watson, mm-hmm. I believe, and it feels like there was a a female trio. Yeah, you remember? It, was, it was they
1: were called the Darrens. The
0: Darrens, yes. Yeah. Jennifer, awesome.
1: Jennifer, and, and one of the Darren sisters are, are friends, okay. and so uh she sees them quite often. So it was the Darrens, and then there was somebody else, but I don't know.
0: I can't remember. Was it Russ Taff? No, it was there a was younger a songwriter. Group. Yeah. Oh, I know who it was. It was. Um, uh, I will remember it sometime later in the podcast. Yeah. I know who it was.
1: Ben something. Yeah. Ben Glover. Ben Glover. Yeah, that's yeah. who it was. Yep. He was awesome. Oh, Ben Glover. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was
0: awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was a fun tour. You know, I, we, of course, the listeners wouldn't have known this yet, but you and I shared a manager. So, yes. um, mm-hmm. Mike Atkins. and I think, so we had been, we had been touring and playing music for about seven years before we got signed. And so we had a we had a pretty good thing going, but it was still, you know, we we were kind of isolated. We hadn't been around like we didn't know really just how to carry ourselves. And um, and I think Mike knew that that on that second record we we probably needed to be with some people who were seasoned and um, and it was great. I mean, we I, we needed it and to be with you guys for
2: you know half a year. Well, I don't
1: know how long it went, but. I do remember playing a lot of golf. Yes.
0: We, didn't we play a lot we of did. golf? Yeah, we, yeah, we, that was around that season where, um, I really started playing a lot. We, we just stick our clubs under the bus. Yeah, yeah. And go out. I remember that's some of my favorite memories too of touring, where, uh, I remember I had this big book, mm. of, you know, because we didn't really mm-hmm. have the internet that much. Yeah. Like you that. were the one that, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of the, yeah, I was, I was golf yeah. guide, Mr. Golf guy. Yeah. But I had this, this big golf digest book that was, you know, six inches thick and it was all the best courses to play in every state in america mm. and so the night before we'd get in that book knowing where we we're going to be the next day mm. and we would go okay find it, and then we would call get a tea time and uh mike quistad was our road manager back yeah there, remember mike mm. uh, q would would make sure there was a runner and we would get up at like yep. seven or eight a.m yeah go hit the golf course yeah um yeah come back shower and do sound check and off we went
1: yeah i remember that rhythm it was great you know and everybody in our band still asleep but that was the first time really you know uh unfortunately i never never even after the thousands of shows i never was able to to get the sleep in early rhythm like i get up early i mean uh, uh last night you know jennifer and i had an event with our our 15 year old was in a a summer uh, footloose, um, uh, the musical oh, nice. kind of thing here in town. Yeah. And so afterwards she had, a, you know, her cast party and all that stuff. And it, and then my mom flew in last night and my son flew back from Europe. So, uh, all the, you know, he'd been gone for six weeks. And so we all kind of were in this one spot and we hadn't been able to give Hutch. So we were, so it was probably two thirty last night, three till I got to sleep. I didn't even need my alarm this morning. It's wow. just like it almost curse. But, when we were out with you guys, I had something to do in yeah. the mornings. It was like, yeah, this is great. I like this rhythm.
0: We get up. Yeah. Well, there we were a, a lot of people we toured with that that would sleep till like 11, 12. Uh, I just couldn't take no. the bus anymore. Well, I, I need daylight. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've never slept on a tour bus. Yeah. Yeah. There are, no, there are no windows in that middle section. Yeah. Where everybody sleeps. And we went out on a 25th anniversary tour. Oh, back in like 20... 2015? yeah 2015 and we we're gonna do like 30 shows i was really excited because i'm like i have been on a tour mm. this in years yeah. and this is gonna be so much fun we did the first show in tulsa mm-hmm. at my church and the next night we were gonna be in amarillo and i got my same bunk yeah like, which one the it was uh so i was back bottom driver's side yeah no i'm sorry back middle driver's side middle was the best yeah yeah well that's you know if you were running the tour if that was your tour, yeah, and yeah, we were like, we're getting the bus. If you're we're paying there. the bus lease, yeah, we're paying yeah. for it, yeah. And um, uh, I remember getting on the bunk, getting in the bunk, waking up around two a.m. Miserable, yeah. It smelled bad. How did I do this? It was I was my back was hurting. Mm. Uh, the sheet smelled. I'm just like, what am I? I've made a terrible decision. I don't want to be
2: here. Yeah, now, that was
0: to me. That was the worst part of that little reunion tour was getting on a bus really like i don't ever want to do this again oh i don't my know gosh. how we did it but yeah i mean i i i couldn't once the bus stopped moving i'm like i gotta get out of here i can't really i, I can't do this anymore hmm. and i would so thank god for golf yeah and thank god for certain times of year that we and see it was fall i remember being in the fall and just being up in like virginia and the carolinas and, it was beautiful oh gosh it was yeah. so beautiful just going out yeah and playing those golf courses. yeah i
1: remember i mean I, I remember playing them with you i mean just some of those uh when you get it when we got over into east tennessee mm. i mean in the fall it was yeah. so great yeah you know and the, i know like like you said you know we when you get into a town you're on a tour bus i mean unless you're on a big tour and somehow you've got your own stuff but which I got a funny story about that later on as we kind of meander our way, like try to get present. But um, on the, uh, we get off the bus in the morning and even if we weren't out with you guys, if our runners would pick us up, you know, we'd we'd be like, Hey, can we go do something? You know, Mm -hmm. let's go to the hotel or, and I I know there were folks in those towns that were like, man, these guys, what a life they get up, they play golf They they didn't realize we're, you know, come, Four or five o'clock. We're working until one in the morning. Yeah, you know. But it it was sort of a backwards life. Mm -hmm. I actually still keep that rhythm. I I know it's weird, but I I get up early. I do do a lot of stuff during the day, and then I usually try to grab a nap in the afternoon, like we used to at the hotels. Yep. Yep. And I sort of have this new energy by evening.
0: You know, I didn't. I've never thought about that, but that's exactly what I do. In fact, my wife knows this about me. She'll look at me and she'll go, Why don't you go take a nap? Yeah,
1: yeah. I and, get in my pajamas. Like I go oh back to bed. Yeah, yeah. We've oh. had friends come over to the house at like two in the afternoon. Oh, that's funny. And they're like, Now what's it you do? I was like, look, this is temporary. I'll be I'll be right back.
0: Oh man, I set my alarm. Yeah. I'll set my alarm for like fifteen, twenty minutes. Okay. Find my favorite chair and go crash and then I'm good. I can Yeah. And then yeah, I it it is it's interesting. Because I still have that, I can't stay up late as I, like I used to, but I still have that little surge of energy around eight o'clock. Me too. Where I'm like, do something. Yeah. My wife's like, we're not going anywhere. No, no. Yeah. And we're not going to bed in an hour. And I'm like, but there's something. Got to do something creative yeah. right now.
1: I'm the same. It got in me, and it just uh, no. I I but I also like it. Yeah. You know uh, that it's a fun rhythm.
0: So let's talk about about your career with ffh and the band and so many great songs on the radio um thank you again you know as people listen to this they're going to remember and go back and play all those great songs again yeah um you were the main co-writer I the was. main writer of the group mm-hmm. who did you write with who were your producers like uh because I, I, I know we we had to have shared a lot of common people that we worked with over those years
1: maybe we probably we we probably share a lot of Definitely share a lot of people we've worked with. I did a lot of writing by myself. Um, I co-wrote with Tony Wood on a couple of, of our bigger songs. Um, and uh, Jennifer and I have written a couple of things together. I, I co-wrote with Mike Boggs mm-hmm. some. But most of the songs that people would know, it was just me.
0: And where did you know, that come from? What was your process like? Like,
1: I got up early in the morning and just, more. more I don't know why, but man, I wake up and I am up. It's as I've gotten older, it's not, you know, quite the same. But I I have a distinct memory of Jennifer. uh, We were living in a little. uh, We had bought our first house in Franklin, um, over in Franklin Green. Drew, you probably know where that is. Um, Six thirty one morning, I'm out there, and Jennifer comes. She goes, "Babe, she's like, this is a little too early for people to be hearing your hit song." Because I was outside. So, I mean, a lot of it was that, and then a lot of it was at night too. I mean, when when there's nothing to do, it's just be in my office and trying to bang out hooks and. Yeah, you you
0: feel like that. That's what you were. You were a songwriter first. Uh,
1: no, no. My, I mean, my my parents were really good musicians. Um, mom played the piano, dad played guitar. Before they were divorced, they had a band. Um, mom wanted to be Karen carpenter in every way, you know so it was a lot like that uh they had a they had a band uh, mom was i think eighteen dad was twenty and uh they would just they'd go to churches and play and i mean it, so it was in me pretty early. I started out as a drummer um and I did that for a long time and i it's still probably my first love yeah. and then in high school i uh, there's not a ton to do for a drummer in the middle of the year. You know, I I was, I was a a band nerd. I just love to, I mean, I would watch, I mean, this is, this is a stretch, but I would watch, um, videos of like DCI, which is like a, like a drum, like professional drum course, although other than not professional, you know, they pay to be in it. But then I just, you know, I picked up the piano and it made sense. And so that, that's kind of where I went next. And I spent two or three years just, Trying to get as good as I could. And that's when I started writing songs. Um, so I was probably a singer-songwriter. What's odd is I didn't know much about Christian music. In fact, I didn't even know there was a thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but my, my dad, of course, on his side, and then my Aunt Cindy on my mom's side. My, my, my mom is the middle of two sisters. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when mom got pregnant, she was 17. When I was born, her youngest sister lived at home. She was in eighth grade, I think. So, Aunt Cindy and I were kind of buddies. And Aunt, Aunt Cindy was really into Amy Grant, and uh, and she was, you know, she'd play that music and she'd play guitar, and yeah. you know, was barefoot, and that was. Yeah. So that was a, a pretty big influence on me. And then, um,
0: and there was good Christian radio in Lancaster, in that area, right? Well, I, I didn't really know. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Because I, uh, I I wasn't fully aware. It was aware always about, a big tour stop. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I
1: was a tour I stop was every year. Great. and then i started to go wow there's this language for music you know i was you know billy joel and elton john taught me how to play piano Uh and so uh i started writing those songs and then they seemed to kind of they were about my faith and some of them are about girls yeah um and then uh i I did that for a while started the band when i started the band i was
0: playing piano um what was the first christian album that you really heard like for you for you would you go i'm gonna go Pick up because for me, it was, was uh, the Imperial's priority. Okay. That was the first Christian record I picked up with my own money and was like, opened up this whole new world for me. Like, okay, okay I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go as far as this music will take me. I had an
1: Amy Grant record on vinyl and mm-hmm. I really Which liked one? it. Man, I, I remember the songs, but now, now that I think about it, I think it was like a first collection of hers kind of thing. Yeah. And then Michael W. Smith's uh, live cassette. I remember that yeah, the one with Steve Brewster playing drums, and uh-huh. you know just very um it was amazing, I mean, and so those two probably were the first my first intros into this kind of music um, and then and then I started to listen to w j t o which is our local Christian music uh-huh. station, and I really liked it i'm like wow this is this is killer
0: so what years would that have been
1: it was probably it was probably like a I was maybe eighth grade yeah. yeah so um well what, what is grade eight how old are you uh, 12 you're, maybe
0: uh, no you're like 14
1: all right so yeah, yeah i mean i was born in 74 so it but in 88
0: 89 okay so that right when christian music was really starting to turn yes so petra had a, a live more album
1: Contemporary, yeah it yeah. had um it was called beat the system yep and i really really like i was like man if this kind of music right. is and my dad also loved glad Oh yeah, and we lo- We were a okay. vocal band, so you know, all of that music kind of shaped my kind of musical vocabulary. And then when I got to high school, um, I, Brian and I went to college together. The guy that started the band F F H, Brian Smith, started F F H with me with two other guys. We went to college together, and I, it didn't take me long to realize I didn't want to be a music teacher, so I dropped out and just started doing my own music, mm-hmm. and uh, and then my aunt. Aunt Cindy said, Hey, you know, we believe in you. There's this really cool thing in Nashville called GMA week. And we think you should go like, go and see what this is. Like your songs are like this. And, uh, you could go for a hundred bucks on a student ID. So I drove down from Pennsylvania. I met Jennifer at uh, the cannery club at, uh, I want to say that it was Rich Mullen showcase. Yeah. and."
0: What year would that have been? That was ninety four.
1: Okay. Yeah, ninety four. And then ninety and then by the time we came back in ninety five, I think we were engaged. So we dated long distance that whole year. And then we started to play music a little bit together. Jennifer grew up playing and singing country music. And so she taught me to play guitar. And that was a whole other thing. Like, oh my gosh, there's more songs than this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, you know, holding playing piano is home for me, but holding a piece of wood and like mm-hmm feeling it against your body it was just different you could be a little more mobile there's another another rhythm to it yeah totally and she so she showed me how to play um and then you know that i just kind of went full on into that and then in 19 well we were married by this point but probably 1997 um i wrote a song called one of these days on her guitar great and then people heard it and that was kind of like that was the beginning of our probably our our Christian music experience. Yeah.
0: And then how did you get signed? Let me, take me through that.
1: <laughs> really? I yeah. mean, do people care? They do. Okay. Yeah.
0: They actually do. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we, um, so there was an industry guy named I John. care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you can edit <laughs> it out. It's my podcast,
0: so we're going to talk about
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit it out if you want. John Mays was an A&R director oh, here yeah. in town. And Man,
0: John's, John, John's name comes up all the yeah. time.
1: So John, newspapers. I mean, I think John probably talked to just about everybody. Yeah. Plus he's just super nice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so we. Jennifer, and me met John and, um, we started kind of feeling our way around Nashville. And then when we got married, we thought, well, this is, she's from St. Louis uh-huh. with a, let's make our life here. So we moved here 95, 96. Um, she joined our band when another guy left and that kind of started this weird, like shift in FFH because there was something unique, uh, uh-huh. you know, we kind of co co led it and, um, your
0: voices matched really well
1: too. Yeah, they did, and yeah. we actually looked sort of alike.
0: Yeah, like,
1: you know, uh, we we were confused for a really long time for being brother and sister. So, anyways, we we started to get some record label attention, and and we were living here, and so John John kind of wanted to sign us, and and then he didn't. Brent Bourgeois came came and heard us playing, was like, uh-huh. Nah, this is just not it's not for us. <laughs> John was. That sounds at, like Brent. Yeah, John was at word, and he's like, "Nah, it's not time yet." You know, it's you're close, but no. And that happened with a couple of other people. And then when uh, w- when we made that song, one of these days, that was actually part of a record called "One of These Days." We had made an independent project, um, and it, you know, we we didn't. We, we was just, it was just the. Ne- it was probably our fourth or fifth record. It was the it was the next record in line yeah. of what we were going to do. Yeah. we were in an RV. You know, we had a big trailer, it was eight of us in an R V and we were just How many shows a year were you doing? Well, uh, probably right, um, back then indie, hundred and fifty. Wow. But when look when you say shows, that makes it sound a whole lot cooler than yeah, it was. I, know where you're going. I mean it was like gigs. Yeah. Even gigs is pretty Wherever pretty you could set
0: up and exactly, and play, yeah. Yeah.
1: And we were self contained, you know, we had our gear and uh-huh. you know, we could call ahead and go hey you know next month we're going to be there it's a wednesday night how about well we got a prayer group eight of us good yeah can you make lasagna (laughs) our band at one point was like okay what's for lasagna tonight Um, so uh (laughs) anyways we got better you know when we were out doing that like things things got things got a lot better for us you know we it it was good because we were either yeah. gonna have to really own it or quit, and we really leaned into it. And then um, there was a uh, there was a Christian radio promoter, or uh, sorry, a radio yeah yeah radio promoter. He was independent. His name was Kyle Fenton. Yeah, and he heard our stuff, and he and and John had already passed on us. Brent Brent mm-hmm. had passed on us, and John uh, Kyle said, "You know, uh, it sounds crazy, but it's." what if we just did it? Like, what if we just put this, this song out to radio and, uh, we did. And it, you know, it was, it was great. We, at that point it was, it was enough for people to go, oh, well, you've done all this. You've done all the work already. Yeah. We were the highest charting independent band in the history of the chart. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, we were on like, you know, remember when Gary Chapman did his thing right. and, and he yeah. would be like, who are these people? Like, we, you know, no label support, no anything. Yeah. And, uh, so that helped. And so um finally Jeff Jeff Mosley said, Look, we I wanna sign you. Um uh and he was sweet, you know, you probably know Jeff, just nice. Oh yeah, Jeff was yeah. our
0: president at Benson.
1: Yeah, okay for a while. Yeah. So
0: all right, so that must mm-hmm. have been now, well, you yeah, guys. Late nineties, yeah.
1: Yeah, so this would have been 98, 99, So Jeff said, Look, um I I, I wanna sign you, but we have some stuff coming up. Uh and 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 this is i mean i think this is the experience of most artists it was going to take a while mm-hmm. and also you know your record's great we'll, we'll get you signed we'll get in the studio we'll make the the new record and, and we were like man we just made this one like <laughs> and he said look um but give me some time i i gotta do some things for a couple of weeks and and then the lawyers the lawyers, will get a deal memo, points memo put together. He said, look, whatever you do in the meantime, don't talk to a guy named Robert Beeson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which means go talk to Robert well, Beeson.
1: Well, I mean, for some people it might not. But if you tell me not to look behind door number two, I am going to look every time. Like it, And Jennifer's worse. I mean, I married someone who cannot resist a dare. <laughs> and so it did make us go, no, what, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. But we didn't just go find him. but we did the next week we ran into him. Well, he, he found us mm-hmm. and he's like, what would I, he was like, and, and at the time, Robert had only signed modern rock. Um, he, he had started essential records and it was yeah. all modern rock. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure that it, some of it could even be played in Christian. None of it was on Christian like radio. Um, you know, I, I probably, I couldn't even remember, uh-huh. but, but then he signed jars of clay. So he was coming off of jars of clay and he, I remember this now. Yeah. He came to us and said, you know what? He, he acknowledged, he said, you guys have done all the work. Um, could we, what, what what would you need to sign? And, um, we, we were kind of like, man, you don't, this is not the world you live in. And he was like, you're right. And I want to, but I trust you with it, your audience. And, and I said, well, we said, look, we don't want to make another record, this record. And he's like, agreed. I'll buy the masters. We'll put this record out. And then we said, this guy, Kyle has really helped us. Please keep him on. He's like, agreed. So on a, on a cocktail napkin at the Renaissance hotel in Nashville, we signed our record deal. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know that I've spoken to Jeff Mosley since then. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's still around. I know. We, he's we done him really up. well. Yeah.
1: No, he's, he's done fine. Oh yeah. Um, but it was uh it was a good call. I mean that the first record did great yeah. um, the uh, I can't remember exactly when it came out, but i, I like, well, it must have come out in the summer and I remember that December, a friend of mine in Pennsylvania uh, who was in the music business he he used to get this publication called c c m Update uh-huh. and he called my home phone in Nashville, and he said, "Hey, did you guys really sell forty four thousand copies of your record this week and I said. You're like we did. Well, I did I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I was like, first of all, that seems like a lot, right? And he's like, it's a lot. I said, all right. Well, uh, let me check. And and, and that and he was weird. The, that next three or four months, we, we we could never relive it again. I mean, that record's almost gold, and it all happened that first wow. uh, that indie that first independent record had probably four or five top five hits on it. And then back then, they would just keep, if there was a hit, they'd keep going. Yeah. It wasn't like, let's move on. It was like,
0: right. let's, let's. It is different nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, well, I don't know. It, it, it is a flow you get into. And again, yeah. I've had this conversation with so many artists that you get to a certain point in your career when you have four or five hits in a row, there's like, I we'll play anything you put out. Yeah. Like you, it's, you kind of have a little golden ticket yeah. for a season.
1: And the singles didn't last as long. So you could get right. three or four songs out. In a year rather than one that could get five singles off a record, yeah, that's what we did, yeah. And so, and and of course, you're selling CDs at $15 a CD to audiences that have never heard, and so it was just a great, great season, yeah. And so, then you know,
0: after you could finally eat more than lasagna,
1: yeah, we really could. (laughs) So, this is probably now we're probably in the year maybe 2000 by this point, Uh and uh, we, uh, Robert, with a record company president came to us because we our record had sold you know two or three hundred thousand copies and we still didn't have management and uh robert said hey i think i really think that you guys he because th- this thing with you talking to the label all the time mm-hmm. and you like coming in here like i'd go into the label and mm-hmm. hang it he's like as much as we love you jeremy this is a little weird
0: so i gotta tell you that's exactly what we did yeah so we came off the road with truth and went right into our deal with Benson without management. Yeah, same. And I mean I wish we'd had a manager that would have read our contracts yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it's just something smart to do. Um but we got to a point where yeah, we were just walking into the label's offices, walking into the radio areas, of, you know, all the promotion teams and we had no barrier between us and the label and I remember it got to a point where we were like this isn't how this works. Yeah. And it's not in our best interest and we ended up yeah. with the same manager as you guys did, same kind of story.
1: Yeah, same kind of story. Um, really similar with our manager as the as the Robert Beeson story. So Robert and Robert and I are we're really close till still to this day. But he he took a really hands off approach with our band because he he would be the first to admit like I don't know their audience. I mean Robert grew up in South Africa and then got right into the modern rock world in Southern California. So he wanted to be in the CCM space like the adult contemporary whatever and and he just he trusted us so we went ahead and made another record without management um but that's when robert said hey there are a lot of zeros on these records now like there's a lot of money being spent you guys probably need a manager and so he said you know i I got a couple of guys i want you to call and uh one was Randy lovelady because he was managing jars of clay another was dan rains uh he said look whatever you do just stay away from Mike Atkins.'" (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> once again <laughs> once again
1: <laughs> but we were like no wait mike manages all of our favorite bands Yeah. right so we were like no, that feels right so we we did meet with those other guys and they were great like uh Randy was so kind and yeah. we 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 were close we got close with rendy just personally yeah,
0: rendy's a great guy
1: he really is yeah. and and he was working with plum and oh, we liked them right and he was managing jars of clay. And we thought, well, But then there was this thing it was like, man, if one manager has the has all of the like the the successful acts of a certain label, is that healthy? So we're like, you know what? Let's go see Mike. And we went, so I'm like, Well, this is like uh, me and at the end, we're like, Are you our manager now? And he's like, Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember Mike, we st- was, Mike was such a great dad figure. He was. And that's I think what made him different. Than all of the other managers yeah. out there so we we went to see you in
1: point of grace on tour at the bridgestone i don't know if it was a bridgestone at the time but whatever it yeah. was there and 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 i recognized there was a there was another whole level of like um just way of doing things and that's when mike that's when mike asked if we'd go out with you guys uh-huh. and he he knew that i needed you know we mentioned before that yeah. you know wayne watcher remembers me as you know the driver All that and unfortunately i that isn't the that isn't my most proud you know season um but i think mike needed me to be around some people who had been there for a while and yeah. and well, let's tour. talk
0: about that for a second if you don't mind no just that what because you did come in a little bit as of an outsider yeah i did with with your process and how how you got signed and yeah. where you came from what you did to more of a corporate mm-hmm. thing that we were a part of at, at that point um and um, I do remember you being different. Mm-hmm. Not that it was a bad thing, but yeah. you were different from the rest of us, and you were you were a little more intense, yeah. I think, from what you wanted and, and maybe the way you were on stage. Yeah. W- where did that come from?
1: Well, I mean, p- part of it was unhealthy, um, just sort of being young, and there was some hubris. But also, being from the Northeast, it's more of a direct – Communication style. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, I mean, in Philly, you don't have to massage kind of your... a matter of fact, when we first moved here, there there would be people that would be like... They would tell Jennifer, I don't think Jeremy likes me. And she'd be like, look, no, that's just... That isn't true. He's just sort of direct. And, I mean, she would she would tell me, look, when you get off the phone, there, there needs to be some pleasantries before you hang up. Like, you can't just go, okay, thanks, click. Like, got you know, but... I mean, I think I've worked through it pretty quickly. I, the one thing that I will say that I have always done is pay a lot of attention. And during that season, this would have been the, you know, the, kind of the turn of the century, uh, the early aughts, I was paying a lot of attention and, um, I, I just, I just realized that I had just so, so much to learn. And I had so much respect for people like you and, and, um, like Amy Grant and but I remember we were working at the Bennett house studio in Franklin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I had been praying a lot about like, how, how will I like manage myself, kind of manage my presence in this time? I, humility was important to me, but I didn't really know really what it meant. And we were working at the Bennett house on a record one time and we were in like the studio B room where producers could rent it out. And then Keith Thomas had his, his own room and Amy was working in there and, and they share a kitchen. And so we were spending time just sort of hanging out with Amy Grant and, and just talking. And I, I didn't talk a whole lot. I would just listen. And I noticed in her like a, like sort of a, a humble unawareness of who she was. Do you know what I mean? Like, It's the kind of thing where people would go. Do you know you're Amy Grant?
0: She comes up a lot in these conversations. Yeah, she does because people remember her as one of the most kind. Yeah, unassuming. Yeah, big name yeah. artists in all of music.
1: Well, and my that was my she she uh, she probably wouldn't recognize me. That was my that was she gave me something to aim at. Mm. I mean, I, I and I, she gave me something to to just, it was kind of nice to have a marker, like a beacon to go, okay, that, that works. Like you don't have to claw your way anywhere. You Mm -hmm. really don't. Mm -hmm. And I sort of stopped and not fully, you know, I mean, it, it, it took a while for me to go from this really headstrong jerk Mm -hmm. to something of a, you know, integrated person, but she helped. I mean, it really was, and and meeting some other people help. I mean, you guys did too, and also Mark yeah. Harris. I mean, Mark when we went on the Freedom Blast tour, Mark kind of put his arm around me. And I, looking back, I think Mike told him too, mm-hmm. because he, I mean, maybe you know Mark Barron, and I do. Maybe he does that, but he would come into the bus like a couple of days a week and just sit with me. And
0: yeah, that's totally that's is his Oh Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And he, I mean, we'd talk, and uh, and fortunately too, his kids were Ffh fans, yeah. and so we got to hang out and. And Mark, uh, he sort of put his arm around me and he's like, yeah, Jeremy, it does matter, you know, and I agree. I mean, I learned, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I was observant. And so, um, yeah, that, that then, then we, once we had a manager in place and a booking agent and I was able to kind of, and also, you know, being an independent band for seven years is if there's this, oh, it's just a constant like, um vigilance
0: you feel like you have a chip on your shoulder maybe no
1: i felt we were always scared that it was going to go away oh no chip on my shoulder not at all um yeah it was more a fear of like is this going to end is this is this going to work are we going to make it are we gonna have to go back to pennsylvania we move to st louis am i gonna have to get another job i mean so once we got a record or two in and we're like oh yeah we might be able to do this at least for foreseeable future this is going to work i was kind of able to go okay like i can pay my mortgage we started to make enough money to where the band could like give each other a you know air quotes salary right even though it wasn't a salary right. we could you know we could do some every every month everybody gets you can actually money. go
0: to the bank and say yeah i'm actually yeah. making a living here
1: we bought a house yeah um you know we were to buy a car and and that i, I think over time like the the constant like striving, you know, the clawing it, it, it subsided a little bit. Yeah. And then it just, after that, it worked the next 10 years was just, uh, I, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't want to change it. I'd change me in the process, but it was, it was a great experience.
0: So I want to talk about one song in particular. Okay. So I want to talk about big fish. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, talking through, just your level of songwriting and, and again, going back and listening to your catalog over the last few days, just like man, I just I I it's like a warm blanket. Yeah. These songs are so great. There's yeah. depth to them. I I hear your journey in who you are yeah. as a writer and as a you know, just as a musician and your journey just in your life. You hear that in in that era of music, you're writing about what you're going through and your relationship with Christ, yeah. and your family. It's different than Worship music, you know, and kind of, kind of what we hear today, but, um, but there's just, but Big Fish. It's not, yeah, it's not as deep. <laughs> yeah, it's not as deep, but it probably is the one that people remember the most. The first one, yep, yeah, yeah. and it's it. You know, talk about Mark kids being big fans of FFA. Yeah, and I'm going well because they love Big Fish. Yeah, probably. that's why. It's a big part of it, yeah. and then they're introduced to the rest of your music. Yeah, so. Tell me about what that did for you guys. I mean, it, it, it probably, my guess is, um, is that it took you, not only took your adult audience and built around that, but also into another generation of, of their kids. to yeah. Listen to your music. Very well. much so. Big fish was, well, so we had recorded big
1: fish on a previous independent album and it, and, and, and our radio station in Pennsylvania played it and it was i mean it was just people loved it it was huge um which was great because then we could play our hometown whenever we wanted and
0: and And i remember when we would you would be in concert they love and big fish that was the moment yeah it was the moment of the show
1: it's funny john mays said look not only would would i not let you record that song you it'll ruin your career (laughs) john said don't ever release it like he was almost like please yeah please don't put that out there um and then Robert was like, well, I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Big Fish was, uh, I think I was probably, no, I was probably 20. Tw- I was 19 when I wrote it. And, um, well, maybe a little older. I was just in my writing room my mother-in-law. No, no. So I was married. So, yeah. So my mother-in-law called and said, I think you need to write a song about a fish. Because... The Bible always says big fish instead of whale. And so maybe you should write a song about a big fish. That was it. I said, okay, give it a shot.
0: Did she get credit? She
1: didn't get credit, but we bought her a car. Okay, good. (laughs) Like after a while, we were like, okay, something, you know, (laughs) Uh, we need to, we need to do something for Mimi. Like, cause this was, this was huge. And then, so that was the first single. And then, uh, and then one of these days. Yeah. So Big Fish was an indie single and one of these days was a
0: But man, it had a life. Big Fish. Yeah.
1: It was the number one it was the number one played song at KLTY in history.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: No, it's not anymore.
0: Well, I but, do remember that. that. No, but I remember that now that you mention it. Yeah. I remember that, yeah.
1: Which um I I'm sure you remember this. At the time Christian radio stations kind of watched what KLTY was playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of did the, did their job formally. Well, if it's working in Dallas, it'll work. And it was working in Dallas.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Crazy. It's
0: crazy. So let's talk career art just for a little bit. Okay. Um, every artist has it. Yeah. You know, um, I mentioned Wayne Watson on here all the yeah. time yeah. because he was the first one to sit down with us and just say, now, you know, you're going to have a career arc, right? Yeah. You're going to work, work, work. You're going to get to this level of success. And then you're going to start to feel the decline. Yeah. You're going to start to feel things not as great as they used to be. Mm-hmm. And you have to make the decision, how hard do I want to work to slow that inevitable downward mm-hmm. movement of your career arc?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, we had to make those decisions just for him. What When was that for for FFH? Uh, you mean sort of the backside of the arc? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you decided, okay, you know what? This era of our lives are done, is done. Yeah. And we're going to go do something else.
1: Okay. So, man, that's, that's a really good question, Andy, because it, we have, we kind of have a complicated arc because it's almost like a, like a, a kind of a camelback. We, we kind of had a, a lull and then, and then there was a little bit, we had another uptick with record number four. Um, with, when, when we when we partnered with our manager Mike Atkins, I remember where I was. We were at Jay Alexander's restaurant,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was things were going great. And he said, "Okay, kids, we kind of got our legs under us. Now we need to talk about something. It's is going to be good, okay? You, you did the work, but you have about seven years." And we said, "What?" He goes, "This I know, but you." In my experience, is what he was saying, in my experience, you have a good run of about seven years if you're lucky. And then the way the industry changes, kind of a new wind blows in. I'm not sure he said it like that. Uh, He never could even get my name right. He's so Southern. He'd go, (laughs) Jeremiah, you got about seven years. Uh, So, we, uh, man, look, Andy, that conversation was in probably around 99, 2000. And we lost a record down two thousand seven, two thousand six. Wow. So seven, seven years. Wow. So record one, two. Our second record we toured with you. Our third record we toured with Point of Grace. Um, and we we had thought about headlining our own tour for that. Now, when I say headlining a tour, so the way that our and it's probably similar for you, but the way that our touring schedule worked is like we would do a tour on a record. And at the end of the tour, then we would just do spot dates as we're kind of writing, recording, we'd go out for a weekend, come home. And, but the big tours was, uh, second record was with you guys. Third record was Point of Grace. And Mike was, uh, Point of Grace was really popular at the time. And Mike was like, it would be great to see you guys go out together because you're sort of about the same audience. Point of Grace was like, yeah, we'd love to have you come out with us. But Mike said, look, I can't, you guys are both sort of headlining, headliners, and I can't negotiate this for you. So it's a conflict of interest. And so he said the only thing I can really do is put you in a room with shelly and Denise and you guys sort of talk about it. So we said, "Well, okay, we're, we're open to that." So we went to um go restaurant here in Cool Springs. Yeah, I know that place. And uh and and we did. He we all sat around a table and Mike was kind of like, "I'm going to excuse myself now." And and he had kind of told the girls, "Here's probably what FFH is worth." And um and we had had by that time a, a string of number one songs, but people still didn't really know who we were, mm. and we hadn't played the West Coast at all. I mean, we had maybe flown out and done a couple of spot dates, and this yeah. Point of Grace tour was going to be
0: on the West Coast. Yeah. West Coast was tough;
1: it was because
0: there wasn't a lot of radio right. at the time on the but West K-Love Coast. k
1: Love was playing us yeah. constantly, yeah. so the we didn't really. So we we knew that it it was their tour, and so it was like, well we'll we'll kind of take your cues from you and so at that meeting shelly and denise said okay look here's here's what we think guys we're going to pay you this amount of money to come out we're doing this many shows man the great thing about what they were doing is they had weekday shows Mm -hmm. and so they gave us a set amount of course we could have our own boss and band and crew and uh uh, we didn't have our own tour manager but theirs was cliff and he was great and so." Uh, can I, I don't know if I can say on here how much they gave us a night, but... It's up to you. Well, they said, we'll give you four grand a night, which wasn't all that much. But then when we looked at how many dates we were playing, and then here's what they said. So we'll give you four grand a night. We'll open the show. We'll let you guys play 35 minutes before intermission.
0: So you can go to the product table.
1: And then we'll play the encore together. And we were just like where do we sign because we were going to be playing these all these places that had never heard of us but well they'd heard our songs but and so they all had point of grace records already so we i didn't talk at all like it was 35 (laughs)
2: minutes
0: (laughs) yeah thank you good night yeah
1: and i mean we sold so many cds at 15 bucks a piece and that's
0: really where the artist makes so much. That's yeah. that's that's where you really start yeah. to get
1: into. At the okay, time we're doing well, here. right? It wasn't so much shirts and and tchotchkes. It was records. So we were selling actual CDs, you know, and, and at fifteen bucks a piece. And so mm-hmm. I mean, you can do the math. I mean, and those girls were really popular. I mean, they drew. Their fans were, they were wealthy white women. I they don't know how else out, to explain. They? it. And they figured it. Out. They figured it out, and, and they are good. Business women. And so we watched Shelly and Denise. Um, and, and we kind of. <laughs> you want to hear a funny story about Shelly Jones? Please. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you this, and then I'm going to have to call her husband and ask if, if we can put this on. <laughs> but David Breen, Shelly's uh-huh. uh, husband of right. however many decades now, David and I met Jennifer on the same night. And we both asked her out. Oh, no way. And for about a month, Jennifer was like, what am I, this guy in Pennsylvania, this <laughs> booking agent in Nashville, what do I, and uh, it's been a funny story between the two of us, and yeah. David is a great husband, yeah. I mean, and Shelly is a hoot. But anyways, they, they, we watched those girls and the way they did business and the way they treated people, um, and it, again, it was I was paying attention and learning, and so instead of going out and headlining a tour on our third record, we, we did it with them. The record that record had a couple of um, a couple of hit songs, but nothing that was like the first two. And so, uh, when we, when it was time to make the fourth record, we started the process again. And, and this time, we thought, okay, let's make a record and, and see if we can do our own tour. See what happens. Mm-hmm. And then that record had a song on it called "You Found Me." Oh yeah, and that was well, like
0: what a great song. Yeah. Now, did you go different producers on that one? Mm-mm. Who produced?
1: Scott you, Williamson. Okay. Scott Williamson produced the first four records, just him. Yeah. Uh, all him. Uh, David Hamilton may did a couple of songs here in because between. Because that and record re- felt different. It did. Yeah. Well, and I think what happened was we, like that, it, in our lives, we, we started to have kids. And, um, which would have pro- probably ended up being the end of our band. But, uh-huh. uh, like, gosh, I remember, I, it's so, do you, do you
0: remember where you wrote songs? Well, I didn't write much. Did you not? No, okay. it was mostly Mark and okay. Tony Wood, and yeah. Dave Clark, Don Cook, yeah, Rick yeah. Bourgeois, those guys. Um, I, I wrote a little bit. If I did, it was at Mark's house. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I I was upstairs. So Jennifer and me had a, little, we had a little house in Franklin Green, which is just west of Franklin uh, here south of Nashville. And at night, so so the internet came out <laughs> i mean the internet That's was how old we are. the internet was there before <laughs> yeah. but like th- it was just like where we could oh man the, like it
0: wasn't easily accessible yeah
1: now yeah. we were doing now we're surfing websites and and so when we didn't have any kids and then Jennifer was pregnant with Hutch kind of our nighttime routine would be um we'd hang out and she'd kind of on the computer in my office because she liked this sh- you know she's starting to learn to shop on the internet and yeah. she also did some styling for our records and became sort of a stylist after that so she's looking at clothes and whatever and i'm writing songs and sometimes she'd sing along and sometimes you know she'd be like man i don't like that or i like that and, and one, one night i was just like uh That's actually good. And so I just was like, all right, well, I'll stay after it. And I mean, that was, that was it. Like I started singing it. She sang it with me. And I mean, it was the longest number one we've ever had. And so then that's the next kind of camel hump was that tour. Uh, But it, it really, I mean, as far as like, it kind of sapped our energy. Hutch was six weeks old Mm -hmm. um, and we had, three buses and a semi truck with our faces on it. And man, it was just so stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Brian and Alison had a baby. So they had their own bus. Jennifer and me had a baby. We had our own bus, the crew and the openers had their bus. We took out this band called big daddy weave that I had produced. Oh, yeah. And, um, it was a blast, but it was just really taxing. Yeah. We did the fall run. We went out, we didn't come home. And then, uh, they, the record company and, and Mike were like, well, look, let's do another one. So we did it again in the spring. And man, when it was over, we just were spent. Like, it maybe was it maybe was a little too much. Mm. And we had nothing to give for that next record. I hate to say it, but the next record was kind of a continuation of that one. And they shouldn't be that way. You know, there should be something that's...
0: It's that tour, 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 make a record. Yeah. Tour, 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 make a record. And... Most of us weren't good at saying, you know, I need to take six months off, yeah, reevaluate, yeah, go over here, do this. And, and that, I think that gets to all of us, yeah. especially when you have kids.
1: Yeah. Well, in Christian music being as small as it is, yeah. like in, in our world, it, it seems big, but it's not. And so radio stations were not playing like old Christian music. Yeah. or five year old Christian they
0: weren't playing even five year old christian no they're so no, they're yeah they're they're the recurrence stopped maybe right just two or three years in the past, right, so we felt like man we got to
1: stay on the front end of this, and there's people coming up behind us that will play for half the money yeah. and they're writing hit songs, and so I kind of had the Weaver brother thing took off a little bit, so I was like, maybe I want to do some producing and um, I never really was great at writing for other artists that just didn't pan out but um i did like producing and and i liked doing i did some A&R a and r for a a record company called fervent that was they had a group called the barlow girl the barlow sisters yeah. and so i worked on that record i worked on big daddy weaves record um in between kind of ready to fly and the neck the next record and i just we didn't phone the next record in it just wasn't as good i mean it had some good songs on it but I, f- I feel like it was kind of too, so that, that was when it was kind of the, the ebb of, yeah. and,
2: uh, and I, you know, I have so many regrets from, um, kind of that, that period, because I,
1: I wish that someone would have said, Hey, this isn't, nobody's doing anything wrong. Nobody made any mistake, any mistakes. Everybody's still working hard. This, this is just the way it is. But I didn't see it that way. Uh, we, we fired our tour manager. We hired another one. We went from our booking agent over to William Morris, thinking maybe the bigger name. Or, and and I, I didn't really kind of look inward and go, well, maybe it's a me problem. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and that record, it stalled out after a song or two. Uh, and then we, we ended up making one more with Essential. Um, but by that time, the industry had changed. the the industry was changing
0: 2001 yeah it was a lot of massive changes
1: yeah this would have been probably like this would have been a little bit later than that probably 2005 but um you know in that conversation with mike atkins where he said like you have seven years Uh right well he also said during that time he said look guys um please be careful don't let people into your homes Make sure that your private life stays private. Yeah, No pictures of your kids anywhere. You, you know what I mean? It was yeah. very much... And we started to see that shift in the mid-2000s of, okay, how much content can you put out? Flood your Facebook page with... Mm-hmm. it. It really did change. And that... I wasn't as compatible with that. Like, I don't love... Broadcasting my private life. And then, man, when we were making records, you know, even in 2008, 9, 10, I mean, our manager at that point was like, I need something from you almost every other day. Like, I was, but I don't have anything. Yeah. I mean, just, I'm being a dad. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, well, video that. Who wants to see that people do, you know? In there, Andy, there was kind of a weird blip. So, 2006, sort of, I started to get sick. And, uh, i didn't know what it was but all of us were a little bit tired we weren't really burnt out we were just fatigued from and uh we were all going to counseling right we were all seeing therapists yeah. we uh, brian mike and me were seeing a guy named al jennifer was seeing his wife nita and these guys were kind of talking to each other and they're like these guys are all saying the same thing let's get them in the same room and just see what happens so we just did a band therapy meeting then I remember Al going, "Hey guys, what what would it feel like for this just to go away for a minute, like for you guys to be able to take a break?" And Brian Smith said, "That feels like relief to me." And Jennifer was like, "I just realized I can't do this anymore, mm. not not like this." So we all um, we all um, we all did kind of go our separate ways for a while. Jennifer and me moved to Africa for six
0: months. Wow, why?
1: Well, why Africa? Okay, so That's we got to move. We, we did want to take a break. But yeah. at the same time, I had been there about six months before to Cape town to do a, uh, in, in South Africa, uh, 50% of the music, I think 40 or 50% of the music on South African radio has to be made in South Africa. And so they would bring people in to do like, you know, seminars and songwriting. And I actually, the, the one year I went for a couple of weeks, they actually did almost an, a, a talent search kind of thing. And then we would, uh, go in and help them record songs and stuff so while i was there the pastor of the church that hosted the conference said would, would you ever consider coming back here for six months and helping our church and just like help us just to get just to get updated with worship it was a white um Afrikaans, dutch you know congregation and they wanted to do some modern worship and stuff and it just felt right so we did we, we moved there two thousand Six came home in two thousand and seven and it it, it kind of ruined us i mean you can 't move to Africa and rent a house and buy a car and and live and then come back and be exactly the same so that that started probably a three year i would say at least a three year sort of very desert process for us um I got really sick when we came home found out I had multiple sclerosis did yeah did two years of chemotherapy in a row which kind of took us off the road i went into remission and then god's great kindness the chemo did what it was supposed to do i i feel my ms but i haven't gotten worse and that was the that was the thing it's like with ms you just kick it down the can as far as you can and then you die from something else and it's working you know i feel it but most people don't see it you know and so but but it, it did require some lifestyle change. I mean, they're like, look, your, your body's not going to be able to have the capacity for some of the stuff it did before. And some of my, you know, I've got some muscle damage and I still have some problems with my spine. So we were off during that time. And then the flood in Nashville, we, we lost our house in the flood. Well, we lost, we lost, we didn't lose the house. We got a lot of damage. So we had to move out of it for a year while it was being repaired. Oh, we lost our state, all that royalty money that we made all of it andy like i mean i remember having enough money when i was in my 20s thinking i'd never seen that much money i remember going well uh, we hired a company we we're just like we'll put this away for us because we, we don't need to live any different than we're living now well thank the lord we had it but i mean we used it were you were you around during, you weren't here during the flood and you weren't here during the flood okay it was it was pretty it was yeah yeah it was hard I Remember the stories. And then we had this mold that grew behind the walls after. So everything had to be thrown away. Everything we owned had to be, we had to pay 10 grand to have it taken to a hazmat landfill because our stuff was too poisonous to be thrown in the Franklin landfill. And so, yeah, guys in safety suits in and out of the house. And so we finally, when the house was finished and remediated, I mean, we had this certificate that it was like hospital grade. Jennifer was like, "I, I don't think I can go back. There's just so, you know, so much water under the bridge now. And so we stayed in the little rental we were in in downtown Franklin and then got this really cool call from a small congregation in California that said, would you guys come here and kind of do what you did in South Africa, help us get healthy? And
0: Isn't it so amazing to look back and go, when I needed it, God gave me a little off-ramp?
1: Eventually. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, i there was a lot of pinching for a while. It
0: was, but I mean, I mean, but you look back now and just go, "Wow, God!" In our day, yeah, when when we needed a yeah. break, when we needed to get out somewhere, you had already set something up. Very for much, us. yeah.
1: And 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 during the while the house was being repaired, I mean, I, I was still sort of in treatment. The house was being repaired. Our kids are now old enough to where, you know, that early on, I mean, Hutch had his own bunk bunk on the bus. We talked about our bus bunks. I was. I was always passenger side, middle, front, middle, and then Hutch was right below me, and then Jennifer was across, and then Sadie was below her, and it was, you know, it was fun. But then eventually it was like, yeah, this the kids don't have a life. So we were spent a lot of time at home, and that's kind of how I got started in this work I do now, because I was able to start sort of doing some some mentorship, and there were about 10 guys that were coming out of Belmont that were at my church. Some of them were. And I just went to him and said, would you guys want to hang out? And they were all, all music guys, a couple of them producers, uh, musicians, artists. I don't know. Uh, the guy named Jonathan Smith was in that crew. Do you know John? And uh, he kind of babysat our kids for us. And uh, i trying to think if there's anybody else that you would, you would know. But we were together for 175 weeks straight. We all just loved it. Every Wednesday morning. And then it became almost fraternal, where we were kind of working through soul care stuff together. Their wives were being involved. You know, it was a really—and we were all reading kind of—we were all reading some stuff that maybe was pushing the limits of what we had we had been told about God. So we were kind of reimagining God. And I just loved it. And so— when we got invited to go to California, I was like, I'm just going to lean into this and see what happens. <laughs> so when we got to orange County, we, we agreed to be in there for three years and they said, you can take as much time as you want on weekends to go play music. I mean like eleven, twelve 12 weekends a year. If you guys want to go play, it's fine. But once we got there, we were like, we're not leaving. Well, you know, we like playing music at this church. Like we'll just, so we, we signed a three year agreement and stayed for almost eight. Then it was great through and through my kids were in a, a little youth group like i was 25 kids and they went to big bear to ski and they had surf days at the beach and uh they that church put me through they ordained me as a pastor and put me through spiritual direction training uh a really intense two-year kind of just being away with the lord and learning how to be a pastor and a shepherd and i just i felt like it was just this gift. So I just leaned into it. I had never gone to college, and so I said, "I'm going to make
0: this." There's college. a lot of us with this story, yeah, Jeremy. Yeah. That you know, we we have this career in Christian music that is very unique, very, you know, that unless you live it, you really don't understand what it is or what it does to you. Very before. much. And you you get to a point where I'm not going to say burnout, but you get to the end of it, and it's just like this is, you know, what are we going to do here? Yeah. And then man God takes you through a kind of a dark season, he yeah. takes you through a desert. Yeah. But then he's not done with you. That's just this I is hope. really cool. <laughs> well no, I mean, this is what we're talking about now, is what you're doing now and what God allowed you to do through ministry and and and, and ministering and mentoring mm-hmm. you know, other people. That that you you get through that desert and God says, Now I'm all this stuff I'm gonna use, everything you've yeah. been through, yeah. all of these experiences now I'm going to bring them all together to where you can have something you never dreamed you would ever have, which yeah. is this, this next chapter of your life where you're not going out and doing tours, you're not making records, but you're still you're still singing, yeah. you're still playing music, yeah. but you're, you're, you're more deeply involved in people's lives than yeah. you ever were.
1: Andy, if you would have told me when you and I were out on tour together, when I was in my 20s, look, man, you're 40s you're not going to play a lot of music. You're going to write books and you're going to do spiritual direction for people. And you're going to be a life coach and you're going to do grief recovery and trauma. And I would have gone and, and, Oh, and if someone would have said, you're going to like it better, hmm. I'd have been like, no chance. <laughs> I'll never like anything better than playing my songs for people. But I do. I mean, it like this thing you and I are doing right now. And in God's kindness, I get to do this, not with a microphone, but I just, (laughs) I love it. I love learning about it. I love getting better at it. I love, like, this is, this is the thing that I, I mean, I wake up in the morning excited to sit and have coffee with people and ask them about their life and kind of map out their memories. And, you know, that was the the joy in getting to learn what I learned in California about this work is that we learn about God when we learn about us and we learn about us when we learn about God. And so it is an, it's not either or it's, it's not this or that it's this and that, and that kind of integration has really been inspiring to me. And so I love it. I like to write. I mean, I read, well, I remember those times, like when I would wake up and play music at 6.30 in the morning, like I would wake up and there would just be songs in me that I just was like, I got to get these out. And it's not like that anymore. It's like that with words. Uh, I mean, I get up in the morning and the Robert Beeson, the guy that I told you about yeah. from the record label, do you know him? Oh yeah. Okay. He'd be fun to talk to because man, he knows where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely get yeah. him on. <laughs> well, I, t- I talk about him in my book. I, I wrote a book. Uh, this it came out this summer. It's called Liver and Onions because it's about my growing up, at, coming out of Pennsylvania Dutch Amish heritage, and moving into the music business. But Robert, he and I have stayed really close friends, and he he said, "I you know I told him." He says, "I'm the same way. I get up in the morning, and my best time, I'm the sharpest, like six thirty to eight And we actually went on vacation together. I mean. A friend of mine said, "I've got this condo down in Destin. You want to go stay for a couple of days? It's empty." And I was like, "Yeah, I want to go." And my daughter misses the ocean. Let's go. And Sadie couldn't go. And I was like, "Well, I don't want to go to the beach by myself." So I called Robert. I was like, "Hey, man, do you want to go to the Florida with me?" And he's like, <laughs> "Like the two of us?" I was like, "Well, I mean, we we don't have to hang out, but we, you know." And we called it our gaycation. So we went down there and we. Like, but we have that same rhythm. We both get up, we go away, we write, you know, and then in the afternoon we start to like shut it down and I see clients, you know, I, I do a lot of phone, you know, remote clients. So I'm able to kind of do it from wherever. Um, and then, so when we came back here, Jennifer and me started. So we, I have this kind of soul care practice. And then we also have a nonprofit that provides funding for people who can't afford counseling. So, because, it, you know, counseling is really helpful, but it's also expensive. And so we, we're kind of trying to figure out how that, you know.
0: So, what's the name of that ministry, and how can people find it?
1: Well, what I'm doing, people can find it just jeremydibbler dot com. Now I've got a weird name, so it's J E R O M Y, and then it's D E I B L E R. So it's jeremydibbler dot com, and then you can you can actually click there to the nonprofit if 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 people would want to apply for um, like. A, being underwritten. So what I'll do, it's a weird, but if someone can't afford, I'll, I'll I'll try to find someone to underwrite their care. And so we, we try to keep it as half and half, like half of our clients are paid and half are not some months. It works. Some it doesn't, but, and then I still play music you know, same as you. I, I, it will always be a part of me. I'm playing tomorrow morning. You know, we still go to church. We love it. I mean, we did go through kind of a, it's, Deconstruction would be the wrong word for me because I don't have any church trauma. You know, my, my Christian experience has been oddly lovely. <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been up and to the right. I mean, I just really, uh, there have been some things that we've had to let go along the way, like kind of the faith of our parents and, uh, you know, but, but isn't that normal where you yeah. kind of lay some stuff down,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it's been such a gentle walk. And, you know, there have been times where like, Lord, something is you know you either you either need to green this pasture up or lean lead me to a green one and, and that has happened and there have been tension and pinching but i like to go to church and i like christian music and it, you know when people talk bad about either one i go nah, hang on you know maybe don't <laughs> you know don't throw the baby out with the bath water there's so much good in all this
0: Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. If you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Christman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychristman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.